Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to another episode of Training Well Done, your show on the what, the why, and the how of quality training. And I have something special here for you all today. I have my man, Mark Metza, admissions counselor from the Slippery Rock University, who is knowledgeable in all things recruiting. A lot of our listeners here are very competitive young athletes, or some of you are their parents and their coaches who may have hopes of them being able to compete in college, but college competition and, and being able to compete in sports is its own beast in its own world. Just like you've had to learn about your own career, you have to learn about recruiting in itself. And so Mark's here to teach us all about that. Uh, so, hey, Mark, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Mark came and did a presentation for us back in August. And um, even just before we started the podcast, I learned some cool stuff. First of all, I learned that the world is a small place, and I am only one connection away from the people of the Bishop Sycamore whole scandal thing. That was hilarious, and that we're not going to talk about that on the show. But for those of you listening who heard about that, Mark knows things. <laughs> and second of all, I learned the difference between prep schools and academies. And while this has nothing to do with the actual, it has something to do with it, not in overly have to do with it but please tell us just like it real quickly what is the difference between a pre what is a prep school and what are these academies and how are those different from like me just going to high school right right so a lot of the prep schools the traditional prep schools that you will find that have been in existence for a long time typically are found in new england right there's a lot of new england prep schools in fact they have their own conference it's called the nepsac the new england prep school athletic council and these are schools academic schools where students will will attend for multiple years right they will be there from 10th grade as boarding students 10th grade on or even ninth grade on one of our freshmen at slippery rock university is a prep school kid so he attended ninth grade at his public high school and then did four years at a prep school these are legitimate schools academics full school day recognized credits from the ncaa they are gaining they are gaining academic credits and eligibility and competing at the same time whereas these academies are popping up due to the covid rulings and the legislation set forth by the ncaa that says hey, everybody gets a redshirt year last year. No matter how, if you played zero games or if you played 20 games, that year does not count. So if you look at the headcount sports and the students who were there for free, they are taking that extra year because it's another year of college. They can either complete their undergraduate degree or begin work on a master's. So the 2021 students need to go to these academies. And academies will sometimes call themselves prep schools or post-grad schools, but there's no schooling. There is no requirement for edu any educational value or benefit at these academies. They're just another year of training. So essentially, for lack of a better way to compare, it's like club sports in the winter, right? It's bas it's AAU basketball in the wintertime because all it is is competing in exposure events to increase recognition and get them out there with coaches and as we talked about, these are 50 year kids now, right? They're, in their, they're, they're a year removed, almost like a gap year from school. So they're a year older, they're a year stronger, they're a year wiser, and they're a lot more marketable to college coaches. Huh. So instead of graduating from high school and then going straight into university, you could go into some sort of academy, especially in a sport like basketball. And I imagine other sports have it too. Yep. You can go to this academy and basically do like a 
I like the, the gap year thing, a guided gap year almost of like, hey, let's work on your skills. Let's let you grow into your body a little bit and maybe let's help your SAT scores as well. That's a great way to describe it. And, and probably the most known academy, right, would be IMG. Oh, IMG is one of those. I thought that was a regular high school as well. Like it I can like a prep be. school high school thing. It can be, right? IMG, but they do not have a school on campus. Oh. So, the, so the students who are IMG kids attend a private school that is across the street so they are there they do not have their own academic affiliation i love the american that, way of finding their way academy. through yep. the rules yep. yep here's the standard of what most people do in the american way of how can we slither through there and make something work that's right and then make it look like it's a normal thing that's amazing well, yeah. everybody, we're, today we're going to talk about the recruiting process and learning about recruiting, making contact, scholarships, Title IX, if you've never heard of it, um, different types of sports, divisions of colleges. And Mark, what I want to first start off with, a lot of us you know, listening have these preconceived notions about college recruiting, and most of us listening are probably wrong. So what are these common myths that you hear that are not very accurate about how recruiting works. Okay, well, the, the most common and what I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, no exaggeration daily, is if it's, if it's not, if they don't play on TV, then anybody can play there. I, I think there's, there's a very common misconception of how good you actually have to be to play at the college level, regardless of what division, whether it's D3, D2, NAIA, Everybody knows what Pitt is or what Clemson is or what Ohio State is, but they don't know how good the players at IUP are or the players at Gannon or the players at Allegheny College. So I think that's one of the big things that we battle every day is, well, if you don't play on TV, if I was a decent high school player, that means I can play for you. You have to be a really good player. In fact, only as a whole, now we're talking all sports, only about three to 4% of high school athletes have the opportunity to play in the NCAA at any level. So if you are a college player, somebody who gets the chance to play after high school, you are in the top three to four to five, depending on your sport, percent of players in the country, right? So you have to be pretty good and committed to your craft. So that's, that is a big thing. Wow. Um, and, and I would say it kind of ties into that. The other one is, well, D3 is just kind of like club sports and it's not any good. And, and, and I got news for you. That's not true. Right. That is that's not true. There is a lot of really, really high level division three teams, players, coaches um, out there. And, and I hate when I hear this this mentality and I hear it often of, well, if I only get a chance to play D3, then I'm not going to play after high school. I don't like to hear that because. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, the value of athletics in college goes way beyond what level is it and what type of gear do we wear? Like, are we Adidas school? Are we a Nike school? Who cares? I'm talking about developing life skills here, right? Teamwork, leadership, coping skills, critical thinking, being a problem solver, being a grinder, all those things that are going to help you in your career. You're going to get from being a college athlete and being part of a team. I don't care what level. Yeah. That is one of those things where like when I, I was growing up and realized, oh, this is real. Like when I went to Slip Rock and I ran track there, oh, these guys are fast. As a matter of <laughs> fact, depending on the state you live in, your state champion might only qualify to run division two, like on any like conference level. 
Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people in the Northeast who could never run for an SEC school competitively, but right. they're the state champion. And I've been at um, track meets where there's kids from schools I have never heard of who are running 10-5 and 10-7 and, you know, faster times. And I'm like, I never heard of your school. I don't even know people that fast went there, but there's pit, there's people that go to pit and they're not, they're not bad at all, but they're not like that talented. Yep. And, you know, that difference of just because you're at a D3 school, like if you go look at college football players, I mean, those guys on Slip Rock are huge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're still really fast. There's some, there's a different factor sometimes for a guy that goes to Clemson versus a guy that goes to Slip Rock. But just because you started does not mean you deserve to be on the field with any of those people at a Division II level. I, all the time. And, and we get it all the time. And, and you know, I, my, my, my son or daughter was this, or they were in the paper, or they were all league, or that. Listen, that doesn't mean anything. And the biggest thing, too, Donald, and this is huge for people, and I don't care, stats do not matter. Statistics do not count. Okay. College coaches are recruiting. Do you have the physical and mental ability to fit into our system? Whatever sport we're talking about, do you have the ability to do that? And basketball is always the biggest culprit, right? So-and-so averaged 27 points a game. They have to be a scholarship kid. No, they don't. Not if they're playing against bums and not if they were playing with a bad group where they, they took 40 shots, right? Mm -hmm. So stat people get caught up in statistics. The numbers game doesn't matter. Do you have do you have the physical traits? Do you have the mental traits? Do you have the basketball IQ? Do you have the intangibles? Do you compete? And in a lot of sports, one of the talents that are always being evaluated is toughness. Toughness is a talent. Are you tough enough to compete and grind with this, this schedule and what it takes to be a college athlete, balancing your academics, your being a college student life, and your sport, which entails a lot more than just practice, right? Yeah. You've got to spend a lot of time, not just the two, two and a half, three hours a day in practice. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when I think about like sports like running, it's one of those things where for people who do cross country and track, especially on the men's side, the where you can go is so open because of how scholarships maybe don't work, I guess. And in right, a sense right. where you, there are fast people everywhere that, you know, there are fast people everywhere and there's really good coaches that are in the weeds. Um, I have a kid, she goes to Virginia tech. She does not run on Virginia tech's official cross country team. She does a club team there. And most of those girls are still running like 20 minutes or below five K's, yeah. which, you know, that could take you, that takes you to States in this state. So yeah. there's a bunch of scholars, you know, state level kids, I'm sorry, who like, you know, if they go to a school like that and the big, big ACC or the big 10, they might join the club. And that still be an exhilarating experience in and of itself that has its own organization. Yeah, no doubt. You know, one of the, this has been some years ago, but what, it's actually where I'm sitting right now. The school district where I'm sitting doing this podcast is, is a school over in Ohio. It's called Uniontown Lake High School. It's an awesome school district. Great, great kids. We've used to get a bunch of kids there every year for, from Slippy Rock. And 
one of the students who came to Slippy Rock um, as a sport management major, her mom was a teacher at the high school. So she came over and, you know, when I see those kids on campus, it's a little bit more personal because the out-of-state group is a lot smaller than the in-state group. So when I, the first time I saw her and I asked her how she was doing, literally the first words out of her mouth was, I'm playing club volleyball. That was the first thing that she could tell me was, I'm playing club volleyball. So if you want to know what's impacting her experience at Slippy Rock at that point, it was the fact that she was playing club volleyball because this type of activity and, and being a part of a team it is, like you said, it, it's exhilarating. It, it, and she was had a smile from ear to ear and couldn't wait to tell me that she was playing club volleyball. So the, the level doesn't matter. And sport in and of itself is, is something that, that arms you with life skills and transferable skills that every employer is looking for. So that's really where the benefit lies. Yeah. What other kind of myths do you commonly come across? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that, one of the uh, of the big things, well, other than stats, that that by far that's the most important is statistics. Everybody wants to talk to me about statistics. Um, the difference between the levels is something that's that's very confusing. Um, like from the D one, where's the drop to two? Where's the drop to three? And, I, and I'll give you two examples. I, I was just reading yesterday in, in in men's basketball. So two Division two schools this week beat division one schools and not by a little bit. <laughs> so the, there, there is, there is not that much of a drop, you know, from one to two because they're both scholarship, right? We're talking about scholarship athletes at both of these levels. Now the drop to three is a little bit more significant. However, if you take the top schools in three, right? you're going to have kids who, who were scholarship level kids. I'll give you another example. There's a guy who plays in the NBA right now. His name's Duncan Robinson. He plays for the Miami Heat. He came out of Michigan into the NBA, but his first year of college was at a division three school in Massachusetts called Williams College. And I visited Williams College there with my son last year when he was being recruited by Williams. And the head coach told me that every player on their roster had at least one division one offer. So people choose schools, not just based on the highest level. And that's where the myth comes in, that everybody goes to the highest level in which they are offered an opportunity. And that is simply not true. Okay. And that is what I would really like to impress upon students. In fact, I'm working with a, a young lady right now in that boat. She's a fantastic student. We're trying to pick more about fit. Don't go to a D2 school that you really don't like the campus and the community and the size and all those other factors over a D3 just because that one's a D2 and they can give you scholarship money. You can't do that. It doesn't work mm. that way because um, that's not going to keep you there. Yeah. You got to spend, yeah, you have to live there for all those four years. Exactly right. It's what? not just where you go to school, right? It's where you live. I, I, you've mentioned that before over the years during different presentations, that line, it's not where you go to school, it's where you live. And I don't know, as I get older, I feel like that just settles on me more and more. Yeah, it is. I mean, here's the thing. When you were at Slippy Rock, if you would, theoretically now, if you would have gotten an email that said, you have no classes for the next two weeks, okay? Would you have said, man, I got to get out of here. Or did you like it enough with your other stuff that you had going on, right? With your clubs, your work, 
organizations or other stuff, would you have been okay living there? And that's where I describe it to students. That's where you know you're in the right place because you're only going to be in class for maybe two and a half hours a day, maybe three hours a day. Now you're going to be doing academic stuff outside of your class time. I understand that. But you have to be able to live and exist there happily. You have to like your dorm. You have to like your student center. You have to like your rec center. You have to like your dining hall options. You have to like all of those things that come into daily life before you can ever say, I can go to school here. So that's yeah. really what that means. So the differences between these different divisions, first of all, there's actually more than the NCAA. Can you explain what the NCAA is and like, what are the other options that exist? Yeah, there are options out there. I didn't know that. Correct. So the the NCAA is the one that people hear about the most, right? Because those are your, those are your big schools, right? Your power five schools, you know, your big 10, your big 12, your ACC, your SEC, obviously the ones you see on TV on Saturday football, that those are the big ones. So that's all NCAA sponsored stuff. But there is another organization um, known as the NAIA and, and, there are not nearly as many member institutions in the NAIA as there used to be. And they're, and they're, they're doing some realigning within that as well. Um, but nonetheless, they are scholarship level. Okay. So all NAIA schools are scholarship level. So I'm asked, I'm often asked, how do you compare NAIA to division three? Where does it fall? Right? Well, they're scholarship level. So they're have they got to be a little bit, closer to two, you know, around that two area. And really it depends upon the conference and, and the sport, but we are, lo- we are lucky in Western Pennsylvania. We have two NAI schools in the city of Pittsburgh, Point Park University and Carlo both play NAI and they have scholarship budgets for their athletic teams. Now, what, what makes them a little bit different, they don't play football. So there are some NAI schools that do play football. They just aren't in this part of the country. So one of the things that that we are kind of curious about with the integrations in the state system of, you know, the the combination of California University, Edinburgh and Clarion becoming one institution is what are they going to do with some of these athletic teams? And one of the things that I have heard is that NAIA is going to be an option for Mm -hmm. at least one of those campuses to go and compete at the NAIA level. But they are all scholarship level. Okay. So it's different, right? It's just a totally different organization. They have different eligibility requirements, um, different different levels of fully funded on the scholarship side. And they, they do their scholarshiping in terms of number of scholarships a little bit different. It's not just a flat, you have this many scholarships. It's based on a percentage a lot of times. Okay, yeah, we have one of our kids who actually goes to Point Park and runs and he got it. I don't know to what extent of a scholarship he got, but he got scholarship money to go and run there. Yeah. And I was well, like, I they, didn't know you could do that over there. Yeah. The head basketball coach at Point Park University is a Slippery Rock University alum. Hmm. So he's a 96 alum of the Rock. Um, and he's doing a great job over there at, at Point Park University. And they have, a, they have a wonderful group and they're playing some. Last year, they played a bunch of Division One exhibition games. This year, they're playing Kent State. They're playing Buffalo and Last year they played Robert Morris and they played um, Stony Brook and Akron. So they're they're getting them out there and they're you know gaining a lot of, of social media presence. And okay. you know he's done a, he's done a fantastic job uh, recruiting those kids. So NAI can play against NCAA. Correct. Yeah. Yep. 
Interesting. Yeah, last year um, during during the pandemic when people were limited, you know, his his he got opportunities at Point Park because of the testing, right? The testing protocols, they, they stayed up on their testing because that's really the only criteria you had to meet last year for, for to be able to go play in these NA, these Division One schools was you had to be current with your testing and they were, so he got those opportunities. Nice. So they got a lot of exposure and experience. Yep, yep. Now, you mentioned, you know, we've talked, we've been brushing at Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and NCAA. What yep. are the differences there? Like what, you know, people vaguely know that, but I don't think they really know. Yeah. Well, the first thing that doesn't come into play, and this is this is often misconstrued, is the enrollment number. This, the number of students doesn't matter. Okay. Oh, I've totally um, thought of it. <laughs> yeah. St. Francis University in Loretto, Pennsylvania is an example. And St. Bonaventure University up in Olean, New York. Those are both Division One institutions with fewer than 3,000 students. Oh, okay? so on, for, for reference, Slippery Rock has 9,000 students. And the school I went to, the University of Texas, had 50. Exactly. 000. So now they don't play the same in, in football, right? Because football has that extra, that, that championships up. You know, we used to call it division one, one double A, right? Football is the only sport that has that. Everything else is just division one, division two, division three. But so for example, University of Texas and St. Francis University, St. Bonaventure University, they're playing for the same championship. One, one university has 50 some thousand and one has 3000, right? So enrollment number has nothing to do with division. It has to do with facilities and funding. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for you to play at the division one level, you, you must maintain a certain number of scholarships set forth by the NCAA. So if you want to play division one football, you have to have 85 full scholarships. If you want to play division one basketball, you have to have 12 full scholarships. So they set the number and you must have that commitment to scholarshiping your athletes to do that. Now that's where it's different in division two. The NCAA does not require that all division two schools be fully funded. They'll give you the, the, the limit, right? So for football division two, the maximum is 36, but you don't have to have 36. Slip Rock has about 20, okay? In baseball, you can have nine. We don't have nine. In basketball, you can have 10. We don't have 10. Certain conferences in division two, will mandate it, but the NCAA does not mandate it in Division II like they do in Division I. And then lastly, in Division III, it is not called athletic scholarship. It, it can be argued, and I would argue it, that recruited athletes at the Division III schools somehow get more free money than non-athletes get. They just can't put the label on it that it is athletic scholarship, meaning if that student athlete leaves the team, their financial aid package does not change because it was not mm. tied to them being student athlete. Can you say that part again? I think that might slip past about they're not losing their scholarship. <laughs> That's right. In division three, it is grant and aid. Okay. So it is grant money and it is based on a lot of factors, right? That the school can call anything that they want to call. It can be academic. It can be a certain major or program. It can be an, a different individualized skill. It can be a lot of those different things, but they cannot label it as specifically because you are a student athlete. So at the division three level, if a player decides that they want to, to stop playing, it does not affect their financial weight package or their financial situation at that school for the following year because it was not tied to them being a member of that athletic team.
Mm. So this is something that, at least in my experience, I'm learning, but I still might have a little off. A lot of private schools tend to be division three schools. Correct. And the sticker price of private schools tends to be very high, which deters a lot of people from looking at them. But if I'm learning correctly, division, I'm sorry, private schools, which tend to be division three, have the ability to offer far more aid for students than many public institutions. Is that correct? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Slippery Rock University annual tuition is $7,716. Westminster College annual tuition is in the 40-some thousands. Just, we are not oh always. Yes. Oh, yes. $40,000. Schools like W&J is more, right? They're, they're more. But that is their sticker. We are not always the most affordable option compared to those schools. It just depends on the students. So I always recommend to students, you have to do more than look at the sticker, right? You have to look at net cost. You have to go through the process and see, because there's a lot of times over my years working in admissions where students have have picked those schools over us, athlete or non-athlete, because they did better than us on the financial aid package. It does happen. Mm-hmm. Y'all it's listening. just the way they're set up. <laughs> you could go to a school like Westminster or Washington and Jefferson University, which is just in Washington County, and they can have a sticker price for one year of tuition that costs more than all four years of Super Rock. It could cost yep. more than two years of Pitt, and you could still make out better at the end of the day. You know, obviously, if your grades are really good and you qualify for some other things, and if you're, you know, in yep. the context of being an athlete, if you're a pretty good athlete, they'll find money for you. That's an option that's on the table, yep. even if your family does not make a lot of money. And it probably is more of an option if your family does not make a lot of money. No question. No question. It's it's hard to think about, but mind blowing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. What, what one of one of my um, AAU kids was looking at those schools, right? So he his visits were W&J, Allegheny College, uh, Mount Union over in, in, in Alliance, Ohio, and Marietta College down in Marietta, Ohio, which is where he ended up. Um, he, he ended up at Marietta College. And I know for a fact that he's paying less to go to Marietta than he would have to go to Slippery Rock University. So mm-hmm. it's it happens. So make sure you really do your homework and those random obscure schools that reach out to you follow up with them. Um, I want to move on to the next exciting question for people, of course, that has to do with scholarships and something that families are going to learn about as they get into recruiting, Title IX. And I want to start with Title IX because that influences scholarships. Uh, What is Title IX? Yeah, well, for lack of a better way to describe it, 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 you're going to hear the words gender equity. Right. That, that's that's really how in layman's terms, Title IX is described as gender equity. But it is to, it is to ensure that um, the, the equal opportunity exists on the women's side uh, at the college level um, on, as on the men's side. And, and really what it comes down to, though, is, is rather than saying gender equal, it is gender proportionality. So if, if a university is 58 percent female, then their opportunities for female student athletes must be must be equal to that proportion. So we are 58% female enrollment at Slippery Rock University. We are 
we must maintain 58% proportionality for student athletes. So, which makes it very difficult for a university our size, right? So with 85 or 90 on the football roster, right? There is no female sport that offers an equivalency of a roster size of football. Therefore, if you look at the sports that Slippery Rock offers, we have seven on the men's side and 10 on the women's side because we have to offset plus football. So it makes it very challenging at schools our size um, because certain sports like field hockey and lacrosse and soccer and softball, volleyball, they may have to carry more student athletes than they would typically like to and manage. And because we don't use athletic recruitment for enrollment to meet our enrollment goals, like some of the division threes do. And that's another thing that we'll have to talk about. Hmm. It makes it a little bit difficult sometimes um, for those students, because we are not, we are not going to our coaches saying, Hey coach, you need to bring in, you need to bring in 10 freshmen or 15 freshmen or whatever it is. We don't give them numbers from an enrollment standpoint of what they must do. They, they have to do it to get their roster number. That's it. Not because enrollment says so, but at division threes, that's not the case. They, they tell them you got to bring in this many so that we can make our freshman class. Interesting. And so another thing to talk about is how football itself is like this driving force for frustration and for money that helps everything else out. That's another thing we're going to get to in a second, but at the division one level, understanding that things must have a proportionality with um, student athletes who, you know, are participating that also affects scholarships, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at the division one level, let's go like each division. Let's go to one. Let's go one and two. And then we'll, we'll talk about three another time. But let's talk okay. about one and two. Yep. How does that affect the opportunities? Let's start with men on the men's side of sports, which because of football, I understand kind of skews the opportunity for other athletes. But, you know, that will let you. I want you to explain that. Right. So you'll you'll have more scholarships in comparable sports on the women's side because of football. Right. So. Um, women's basketball at the division one level will have more scholarships than the men because of football. We have to get it back over onto the women's side. So, you know, volleyball is, and volleyball is what we call, there are head count sports. Okay. In division one, there's what they call head count. Meaning if you are offered a scholarship, it is a full scholarship. They can't cut those, right? Volleyball is a head count sport, just like football, men's and women's basketball and wrestling. Those are the head count sports. Now, on the other the other the other sports, um, they can cut those. They can give partial scholarships, but not the head count sports. So if you look at the, the sports that are partials, baseball, softball, field hockey, lacrosse, rowing, swimming and diving, all of those. Right. Those opportunities at the one and the two level, I'm not talking about head count now, but the other ones. The opportunities that are going to exist a little bit more and a little bit better funded on the women's side than on the men's side because football sits on the men's side and takes up a lot of the money. It is prevalent at the Division One level. It is way more prevalent at the Division Two level. Really? Oh, yes. If you look at a university like Slippery Rock, Seven men's scholarships or seven men's sports, right? Football, basketball, 
baseball, soccer, indoor track, outdoor track, cross country, seven. Okay. The two sports that have any scholarships worth mentioning are football and basketball. And, and of the 10 scholarships for basketball that we are allowed, we are funded at about between five and a half and six. Baseball can have up to nine full scholarships in division two. We have one. Oh, <laughs> we have one. Meanwhile, one we have players that go to the MLB. Yes. It's amazing. Right. And that's what happens. So now take the, take the equivalent on the women's side, softball, they have more than one, right? They're significantly higher than one. And, and you take women's track compared to men's track. And you know this, right? Cross country, cross country. They get money over there where the guys don't. And it's because all of that money goes to football. So that those discrepancies, um, and, and I don't know if discrepancies is the right word, but the opportunities for, for women, for the, uh, the, the lower tiered sports, right, in terms of attendance, the opportunities for, for scholarship exist much more on the women's side because the footballs, the, the visible sports, football, basketball, they're, they're taking up all the money. Mm. So let's address the elephant in the room. What is it about football and even to an extent basketball that makes them control so much of this, which kind of just sounds like a business thing. What, yeah. you know, why does that control so much? It, 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 it goes up to the division one level in the high majors because it's that those are the revenue generating sports, right? So even though Slippy Rock doesn't play on ABC on Saturday, like, like Penn state does because of that culture of football in our country, right, with college and professional, it is still the most visible sport in in sports culture as a whole, and it trickles down to all levels, and that and that is simply why um, we will have Saturday at the football game when we play Cal, we'll have ten to twelve thousand people at that game. We will not have that in 30 years of volleyball games or, or, or 30 years of baseball games or, or softball or track or anything. So it, it's, it's the visibility of those and the way that it, it contributes to the university and the identity of the university as a whole. And it's just because of the culture of our country. It's for no other reason. I mean, the NFL literally owns a day of the week. The, the NFL <laughs> owns Sunday. So that culture of, of, of football in our country just kind of trickles down. And the second most visible being basketball simply because of March Madness. I mean, look at the, look at what happens in March during the college NCAA basketball tournament with pools and everything going on. And so it's just that trickle down effect that it goes down to all, all athletes and all divisions that those are the visible sports in America. And so because people spend so much money on going to college football games, Right. And, you know, pay, they pay so much attention to TV, to the NFL games or go to NFL games in a way that field hockey or, you know, track or cross country are just not people don't spend money on those sports. You know, it's the way of the world. Money dictates yep. a lot. And yep. so football gets to get all those scholarships, which takes away from the men's side. But because you know, Title IX was created to be able to offset for women to have those opportunities. But if if I understand this correctly, this is something that was like at the University of Texas was brought up a lot because it's the University of Texas. 
And so that whole revenue generating sport means a lot because, because the Texas Longhorns have such a brand, people go to school there. I, I hate to admit this, but part of the reason I went to school there is not really because the Longhorn football itself, but because Longhorn football meant big school, all the schools I applied to for grad school, Georgia, Louisville, Texas, they were, I called them, they were big schools where they were competitive and had big sports programs. Well, that meant really good football teams. And that right. draws attention and that brings enrollment up and that makes people stay in that town and all those millions of dollars that people spend on the sport from what I, when I experienced at Texas trickled into like the strength conditioning facilities and nutritionists that everybody benefited from. But if the football team wasn't there, there'd be no money for that. You're right. And I, I advise students now, I'm just, I'm not talking athletes. I'm just talking about students when, when they are looking at going someplace for grad school, just as you were right. Your grad school search. I, I advise to do exactly what you did. Go to the schools that have football money because they are going to have facilities and resources that places that don't play big time football, they don't have it, right? You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars generated by football at Texas and Ohio State and Auburn and Clemson and LSU, hundreds of millions of dollars. They don't get it all right? It goes to the entire university and it improves the process. And a lot of it is on the grad school side of things in terms of facilities and assistantships and everything that, that creates really good opportunities for students to learn and grow. So I encourage students to look at that level for grad school, just like you did. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite an experience, but it took me a lot to like get that part through my head because you, you go like, oh, being at Slippery Rock, having a teammate who was an all-conference runner, you know, he busted out great times just getting his books paid for. Being at the University of Texas and, you know, these guys I knew on the track team, they were putting down low tens. And, oh, yeah, we got our books paid for here too. And it's like, what? But on the same point, the facilities that were there were, you know, unmatched by many places. Yep. And getting that, oh, this is, you know, this kind of is how things work. And, you know, if basketball was that big or volleyball was that big, it'd be the other way around, maybe. This is the end of part one. Part two will be next, where he covers some further topics. This was a long episode, very insightful, so decided to make it two parts for you. Enjoy. Enjoy.